0: This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. I was thinking it was quieter today. Those riff-raff part-timers are gone. <laughs> you know, yesterday I was talking about this notion of um, how As we connect to our body breath, it's like we're tapping into something underneath the usual preoccupations, creations of who we say we are. You know, it's interesting what language does. You know, we say, it is raining you know, it's like we need a subject for the verb, you know, so we make one up, it's kind of marvelous if you think about it because in English we, we don't actually have any notion of what the it is, you know, like why don't we say the clouds are raining, or the weather's raining? Or the rain is raining. Um, You know, how we make sense of the world, how we give it not just articulation, but how we give it um, a way of being that we can connect to, that we can understand, that we can relate to. and how that's come out of um, our culture, our experiences of growing up, um, our genes. And there's something underneath. And most of the time, it's invisible, you know? We're, we're living it out, but it's mysterious. In this amazing way, just connecting to our physicality, connecting to breathing that physicality, um, attunes us with something that being, and how, you know, this, you know, I was also talking about this transition, you know, where the world according to me has such authority, such urgency uh, that uh, usually it defines what goes on, demands our response. And then as we start to tune into this different sensibility, uh, something starts to shift for us. And then, as we're settling into Shashin, starting to notice this, and starting to accommodate it, starting to facilitate it. Now we're trying to make something happen, but we're opening up to what is happening. This poem by Naomi Shihab Nye, who will be here in a week. I went to see Naomi give a talk, a presentation, a reading of her poetry, a long time ago. And one of the things that struck me was, after the poetry reading, everybody was going up, tell her how great she was. And I watched, and one person after another, she turned the conversation to being about them, you know? And what are you doing? Where are you from? And have you ever written poetry? Uh, it seemed like uh, she was more interested in them and the world and being alive than being, hearing how great she was. Uh, anyway, she'll be here in a week. She'll be in Belfast in a week. If you have a chance, you can come and hear her do her thing. So the other thing I talked about yesterday was the notion of pause. You know, in the teaching uh, you know of cultivation of awareness, usually there's two aspects. You know, shamatha vipassana, you know, shamatha sometimes called concentration, not exactly an accurate translation, sometimes called calming and stopping. Um, But calming is like happiness. You can't insist. Happiness on yourself, you know. It's more like you—you you do what you do. That brings about the conditions that give birth to happiness. So calming is the same. You do what you do, and you give birth to uh, ease, calming. Like you attend to how the mind gets active and agitated and the emotions get active and agitated. Uh, you, you release the distractedness. You know, that's the stopping. You know? But it's not really stopping as much as it is letting go. You, know? you can't stop the mind. You can't create happiness, you can't create calming, and you can't stop the mind. But shamatha is called calming and stopping because it facilitates those qualities. It's, it's where the attention makes evident the, the grasping and the aversion. something is seen and then pause is like the beginners version of calming and stopping and in Zen we're always beginners so we're in uh, we're fortunate that we can just all we have to do is pause and this poem is called pause The boy needed to stop by the road. What pleasure to let the engine quit droning inside the long heat, to feel where they were. Sometimes she was struck by this as if a plank slapped her on the back of the head. They were thirsty as grasses leaning sideways in the ditch, big blue stem and little barley Texas cup grass, hairy crab grass, green sprangle top. She could stop at a store selling only grass names and be happy. They would pause and the pause would seep into them. Fence post, twisted wire, brick chimney without its house, pollen taking flight towards the cities. Something would gather back into place. Take the word home, for example. Often considered to have an address. How it could sweep across you, miles beyond the last neat packages of ice, and nothing be wider than its pulse. I'd here, everywhere, the boy looking away from her across the fields. Maybe I'll read it again so you get the flavor of it. The boy needed to stop by the road. Ah, What a pleasure to let the engine quit droning inside the long heat, to feel where they were. Sometimes she was struck by this as if a plank had slapped her on the back of the head. They were as thirsty as grasses, leaning sideways in the ditch, big blue stem, and little barley, Texas cup grass, hairy crab grass, green sprangle top. She could stop at a store selling only grass names and be happy. They would pause and the pause would seep into them. Fence post, twisted wire, brick chimney without its house, pollen taken flight towards the cities. Something would gather back into place. Take the word home, for example, often considered to have an address. How it would sweep across you, miles beyond the last neat packages of ice, and nothing be wider than its pulse. I tear everywhere, the boy looking away from her across the fields. We pause and we notice. Mm. We, we interrupt this kind of semi-conscious narrative that's unfolding the journey of the self. And we notice. Yeah. To me part of the genius of this poem is like, the little boy needed to pee, they stopped the car, he peed. So what? Nothing happened. Nothing special. know. But when we notice uh, something comes alive. Yeah what you are in that moment, the state of your physicality, the state of your mind, the mental content, what you're seeing. In the noticing, there's a stopping and a quality of allowing that has a calming. Yeah. We allow what's going on internally and we allow what's going on externally. And it becomes evident of what it is. Yeah. It has its own, expression of being. The ditch is no longer an anonymous invisible thing. It's populated. With big blue stem, little barley, Texas cup grass, hurry crab grass, and green sprangletop. Hmm. In, in that pause, in that noticing, um, attention is quickened. We give attention, and this quality of stopping, calming comes forth. We follow the body breath, and we facilitate something elemental in our life. We don't figure it out. We don't plan it out. It happens. It's like the stopping calming is like the coincidental consequence. You stop the car and you don't know what's going to happen. You pause and you don't know who you are. The emperor says to Bodhidharma, who are you? don't know. You know, in the last couple of days I've been saying, willingness and trust, you know, it's taking a risk to not know. It's taking a risk to not be in charge, to not be assured of what's next. And the more we do it, the more we see it's just fine. It works itself out. like so we breathe out and we allow the next inhale. And almost all of us, as we start to be aware of that, we can't stop ourselves from making the next inhale. For almost everybody, it's it's a deliberate involvement to let your body breathe rather than make your body breathe. And it sounds like... A small detail about being alive, but actually it's an enormous detail about being alive. And, and it teaches us something about pausing and letting the moment come into being. And it comes into being and it presents its own particulars. And of course, as the particulars arise, we want to place me in the middle. Maybe it's the quirkiness of our language that demands a subject for every verb. (laughs) Every experience has to have a me that's having the experience. But just as Naomi is curious about the activity, you know, can we be curious about what's being experienced rather than what's in it for me, you know? Do I like this? Do I approve of it, you know? The activity that's happening as the bird's song is heard is it pleasant or unpleasant what is it how does it resonate in your being They would pause and the pause would seep into them. It's like when, when that quality that's you know translated as calming, you know, as as we experience and we let the experience soak in. Um, it has its own um, its own way of calming us its own way of instructing us how to be in the moment no? how to be where you already are how to be what you already are Or as Naomi would put it, they would pause, and the pause would seep into them. Fence post, twisted wire, brick chimney without a house, pollen taking flight toward the cities. Something would gather back into place. Hmm. Was it ever out of place? Or was it just invisible in the middle of an active mind? And and as this abiding happens, it, it has its own subtle instruction. it's instructing us in receptive awareness you know the, the, the shamatha is the directed awareness the directed attention when the mind is very active shamatha is like a torture It's like when you're two and a half years old and your parents say, sit still. It's a torture. You so much energy. There's so much to do and think about and feel and worry about and regret. How can you just hear the songbird? with that patient diligence okay that's how it is breathe out okay that's how it is pause what's happening now just notice Is the mind clear? Is the mind murky? You know, we can notice even our thinking. You know, there's, there's different kinds of thinking. You know, there's a thinking where your mind is busy. I'm going to think about this. No. It's an urgent topic. And then there's a thinking that just sort of floats to the surface. You know? How much does a crow weigh? You know, do you really care what a crow weighs? But somehow that thought occurs to you. <laughs> we were walking this morning and the thought that occurred to me was, in Japan, they had so many crows, they'd be trying to get people to kill them and eat them. It didn't work. <laughs> they still have too many crows. <laughs> Why on earth did that thought come to mind? I have no idea. So there's those thoughts, you know. So some of the things that come to mind, it's obvious. Oh. This, this line of thinking plays a role in my life. And then there's whimsical thoughts. And then there's dreamlike thoughts. Halfway between articulation and imagery. go to don't go to sleep for a couple of nights and you'll <laughs> you give plenty of those. <laughs> yeah. More interestingly, sit Zen and settle into something, you know? However they come into being, can we release them with the exhale? It's not suppress them, it's not resist them, it's not push them away. Not that our mind can manufacture this, it's trusting this more primordial being, this this way of being that isn't defined by who I say I am and what the world is. And this amazing way that our breath and letting our body breathe taps into that. Then, then the, these thinking processes that normally <laughs> feel like they're essential to our survival. that equation softens up, loosens up. Even the ones that in a different state of mind are so adamant, so important. We have to relive that resentment because otherwise, how will we ever take care of ourselves? How will we ever be able to resist our enemies? As as, as we tap into something underneath, we see it, we feel the weight of it. We, We notice the emotional valence of it. We have a patient compassion for our own response to feeling hurt. our own resentment makes sense to us. And at the same time there's a kind of renunciation. We see it and we're not so completely invested in it. And we breathe out. And all that can happen in one or two seconds. And, and this abiding. No. It's like we hear the roar of the furnace. And we... Experience the experience. There's a kind of a, a receptive awareness. And we're not hearing it because we have to do something to it. It's just allowing what's happening. And can we punctuate our day with this process? Allowing what's happening to happen. It's like the noticing makes the contact and then we soak it in. Or as Naomi says, it seeps in. They would pause, and the pause seeps into them. And something would gather back into place. Take the word home, for example. Often considered to have an address. The genius of the poet. Often considered to have an address to belong, to be in the moment you're in. To breathe it in. To let it be part of you. To let you be part of it. receptive awareness. And, 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 and usually for us, this comes more in glimpses in in moments, and then we resume uh, a more habitual way of being. It's almost like it's not convincing. Wait a minute, it's not that easy. You don't know all the troubles I have to deal with. You don't know all the things that are going wrong in my life. (laughs) But but not to say that's all crazy nonsense, but just to say in the middle of that, moments that are complete in themselves can also happen. This is the other dimension of our existence. So the renunciation is not simply denial of life. In a strange way, it's denial that suffering is all there is to life. Someone told me recently that a scholar, they heard a scholar talk and the scholar was arguing that the Four Noble Truths would more, right, more accurately be called the Four Noble Tasks. You know, the first task is to see that life is suffering. To see how it comes into being, to see how it can go away, and the path. Um, so, So to see the way in which we contract and struggle, usually for almost all of us, moments of ease, moments of spaciousness, moments of liberation. sometimes in a poignant way, make evident the moments of contraction, the moments of struggle, the moments of pushing away. And, you know, yesterday I was saying, well, as we keep paying attention, you know, just even in a general way, you know, you can see, oh, This morning my mood was more like this, and now my mood's more like this. This morning I was preoccupied by something, and now I can't even remember what it was I was preoccupied by. But then it was really important. (laughs) And the more we pay attention, the more we see that our existence is fluid and dynamic. there's an urgency in us that wants to grasp it and own it. Somehow in the service of facilitating our life. And when we're caught up in the throes of it, this is invisible. You know? We don't see the first noble task of seeing how suffering operates. Too in it to see it, and, and and when we're in that state, we're not home. We're a, we're a refugee. You know, we're displaced from belonging. One way or another, yeah. and then we have our own response to that. some adamant voice that says, I am right, or I am better, you know? <coughs> How dare they say that to me? Or we just feel an anxious displacement. As as we experience being home in the moment, uh, those qualities of suffering are softened, they're loosened. Our bitterness, our resentment, our anxiety, our competition, they loosen up. They don't make so much sense. Mm. So the scholar was saying, this is the noble task. This is the first noble task. And maybe the second and third. Take the word home, for example. Often considered to have an address. How it could sweep across you, miles beyond the last neat packages of ice and nothing be wider than its pulse. When we're in the moment, it just has an authority. It doesn't actually matter what the content is, it's the connectedness. Last night after we finished sitting I noticed the lights were still on in the dining room and I thought well we should turn the lights off and I searched everywhere for the switch could not find it I looked on all the walls everywhere around couldn't find it Isn't that what you do at home? Turn the lights off before you go to bed. When we're home, the impulse in us to just take care of it. That's what you do when you're home. and it takes care of you. The interconnectedness of being. It's not some grand thing of how we should be. and nothing be wider than its pulse. Out here, everywhere. And then the simple particular of the moment, the boy looking away from her across the fields. So when we pause, and we allow it to seep in, and when we experience, it's like the world as we've constructed it, the world as we know it, um, dissolves, and something appears. And in that dissolving, the me also Dissolves. Maybe not completely. Maybe it just gets a little more rounded on its sharp edges. Uh, maybe we just notice in a kind of poignant way the persistence of our own contraction. and determined attitude. But can we allow something to lean into that dissolving? We can't make it happen any more than we can make ourselves happy we can't make ourselves calm we can't stop but we can attend and receive we can notice and experience and as we as we engage this and the mind slows down starts to slow down we, we can start to be more conscious of it, we can, we can start to be aware when we're aware. And then the challenge is, don't start making a whole big story about it, but just let let something organic happen. Yeah. And then just for good measure, here's another one by Naomi, which to my mind works in the same direction. It's it's called Fresh. This is a little book of her, an anthology of her poetry put together by Blood Express. Wanting nothing from any store. To lift something you already had and set it down in a new place. Awakened eye seeing freshly. What does it do to the old blood moving through its channels? Needing to be nowhere else. Wanting nothing from any store to lift something you already had and set it down in a new place. Awakened eye seeing freshly. What does it do to the old blood moving in its channels? And then as we enter this different state of being, there's Inquiry, there's exploration, there's discovery. What does this do to the old blood? What does this do to the old habit energies moving in the way they move? And can our inquiry have a lightness. What an affliction to tell ourselves we're broken and we need to be fixed. And that practice is going to do it. We just have to receive our punishment and we'll be purified uh, No, it's a different process. It's, a, it's an inquiry. Hmm. to noticing the habitual story. It is when it comes into being, the world it creates, the, the characters it creates within that world. And who am I in that theater? Am I the villain? Am I the victim? only a story but can we sense can we feel the authority of it in our own makeup and not to say Oh, go back into thinking and, and judging and assessing. You know, the, the, the more internal quiet, the more what arises will tell us. We don't figure out insights. Insights happening happen when our figuring out slows down and quiets down. That's how things become fresh. Even when you're picking up something, you're picking it up for the first time. So today as best you can to facilitate this kind of um, novelty. Hmm? to watch your habitual being and to pause in the middle of it. And to pause in the middle of um, this day with its sunshine. It's fiery dragon, it's crows, it's songbirds. Um, And to remind yourself how precious it is to have a moment like this. That those ways of being that are usually invisible are closer to the surface. They're more easily um, seen, and that this body breath, uh, as we sustain it, it sustains this process. It, it, you know, it. It's the heartbeat of the Buddha body, the body of awakening. Um, as, As we continue it, we stay close to pause. We stay close to noticing. We stay close to ticking in, receiving. And we stay close to the insights that creates. Thank you.